Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. We got another great one, folks. Just like our last FOMC, our last discussion on CPI, we have some of the best folks in the business here. So I'm just going to kind of do a quick rundown of our panel here. And, and guys, as I call your name, feel free to plug anything you got going on. Feel free to give any comments you have before we get right into it. So starting off, we got FedGuy12, Joseph Wang, friend of our Twitter spaces, a regular occurrence here on these unusual whale spaces. We welcome back Joseph Wang, headed to trading desk at the Fed's open desk, an incredible book called Central Banking 101. And generally, you know, Joseph's the go-to guy to speak about the Fed's operations. How are you doing today, Joseph? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for inviting me and organizing these spaces. I really enjoy them. Thanks for coming, man. Your feedback has always been absolutely cherished when you're here with us. You got anything you're working on you want to plug at all, Joseph? Uh, no, not at all. Just here to talk and to learn. Sounds good, man. Thank you for being here. Next up, we got our man Northman, trader. Sven often considered a bit of a contrarian. Great newsletter per usual that you should already be subscribed to if you're not. Shameless plug there. A very active video catalog. Welcome you and your expertise here again, Sven. How are you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here and uh, looking forward to noodling through this macro journey we're all on. Yes, sir. Next, Tavi Costa, big expert on metals mining the global macro environment he's the pm of crescott capital and couldn't be happier having you again man how are you doing this morning i'm doing great thanks for for having me apologize last time i was supposed to be here and couldn't make it but uh here i am and thanks for having me and looking forward to this yes sir you're here now that's all that matters thanks for coming thank you Next, we have the Jam Croissant himself, Sam Carson. Thank you for being here. This is a honestly, it's a great honor. I've I've followed you for a long time, looked up to a lot of the information you share. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Honor being here with all these other uh, wonderful speakers and, and you guys as well. Uh, uh, just kind of put it out there. We uh, we've, we've started a, a new. Uh, a, a new service where people can uh, actually kind of get our mac uh, macro and flows videos uh, occasionally trying to build a bit of a community internally if people want to reach out take a look at our website kaivolatility.com backslash news uh, we just put out a quarterly newsletter that we uh, you know we'll be sharing um, as well uh, in the coming weeks good deal folks be sure to check that out everyone up here that's speaking uh, absolutely worthy of your following your attention these folks giving out great information uh, last but not least, we got our man, the last bear standing. First to call out the malfeasance, irrationality, and idiocy in our capital markets. Expert in Chinese real estate. Also has an incredible newsletter you should already be subscribed to. Welcome back, last bear. How are you doing this morning? Thanks for having me this morning. Um, like everyone else, I have a Twitter and a Substack, so feel free to go ahead and, and follow those if you like the things that I say. But happy to be on the panel. Thanks for having me. And I think, listeners, you'll find that you do like the things he has to say, for sure. So I think we can get right into it. The big question I would say that's on everyone's mind is, is obviously, first of all, what do we think the CPI print will be? So making predictions with delayed BLS data is generally, you know, it's generally a losing game. So let's get some thoughts here. Sam, uh, you wrote a great thread about inflation recently. Why don't you start out with what you're expecting here? 
yeah, I, I mean, look, uh, these these numbers are are lagging um, right there. They're you know each month's twelve month inflation rate uh, matches kind of the previous month's rate, you know, plus or minus the new month. So it's it, uh, you know you're going to have a 0.5% rolling off from 12 months ago. Uh, you know, so when you look at things, it doesn't move as quick as people might think uh, from, from 30,000 feet. That's important to note. Um, you know, the, the part that I think uh, is, is going to be way stickier, way higher than people realize is wages. I think that's, you know, um, there, there are several f- factors there. Um, productivity uh, is also down. So I, I think, uh, I think that's the part to watch. I'm, I'm expecting really, um, you know, between that and, and the the real estate portion, right, the rental piece, to stay a bit stickier than people expect. Uh, that's what we've seen the last, uh, you know, three, four reports. Uh, they keep coming in a bit hotter than everybody expects every time. So um, I'd expect that trend to continue. Uh, uh, you know, I, again, I don't think anything it's going to be anything catastrophic. I think we'll see a tick down from 9.1 to, to 8.9 uh, is kind of what I'm looking at, somewhere between the 8.7 expectation and where we were. Um, and I think that'll be a, a mixed, mixed bag for markets um, in terms of reaction. We can get into that a little bit later, but I, I think the way uh, the vol markets and everything's structured, I, I think it's going to be more of a non-event than people expect. Thank you. Sven, how are you feeling? Do you agree with Sam's, Sam's uh, breakdown there? What are you feeling looking into this? Yeah, I mean, look, there's some items that are clearly rolling over, not related to CPI. Obviously, we have big rollovers in commodity prices. Uh, Some items will be sticky, such as housing, which is a big issue for the Fed, because obviously the housing affordable index is uh, still way in the toilet. So if you look for that kind of repricing, that we're not even kind of maybe at the beginning of all this. And obviously, the CPI report and components will be heavily gamed in terms of any impact possibly on the fed's rate hike path which obviously we can all be fairly unsure about because the fed speakers on the one hand keep pushing for more rate hikes in september october november uh powell during the last press conference kind of offered a soft dovish pivot by taking guidance off the table that's what markets will really be interested in about the inflation data i think in general we can just say inflation will roll over and we need to really obviously be aware of as to why it's rolling over and that is a rapidly slowing economy globally which is the historic script and what we also see in history is it's not inflation rolling over that's long-term or immediately term bullish while it can produce rallies of course it's ultimately the fact that the fed has to cut rates and typically cuts rates when we are hitting a official recession and we're not there yet in terms of recognition thank you bear how are you feeling i'm i'm good um i think in the short term i probably agree with uh what the croissant said um but i I think that there's kind of a dynamic where obviously we know gas prices have come down people are expecting energy to sort of bring down the the headline number a little bit um that's sort of a a known factor um and it'll be a competition between that and some of the stickier uh core services shelter that sort of thing um and to try to judge the, the market reaction i think is tough because in one way, the everyone knows energy has come down. So if you have a, a beat on some of the more sticky core stuff, 
that might be that might overshadow a, a decline in headline numbers. Um, but I think any specific you know CPI report, there's there's going to be one next month as well, um, and, and the following month. So it's it's just one data point. Um, I think it's tough to draw too many large scale conclusions from it. Um, but the only thing I would I would add, sort of at a, a broader level. Is that obviously you know there's been a lot of debate between sort of the the money printing crowd and the the anti money printing crowd or, or whatever and the the impact of monetary policy and, and QE on inflation um, and I think that you know the the money printing crowd got to take a couple of victory laps um, over the past you know six months or so as inflation has has been higher than a lot of people expected but I think it's also important to be forward looking on in that sense so. If that school of thought is correct, obviously, you know, QE has been stopped for six months now. It, it takes a lag, but, but you know, money growth has stopped for six months months now. I think that there is arguments for, um, you know, from, from a monetary perspective as to why you should, you know, over the coming couple months or, or six months or so start to see um, a slowdown if it is, in fact, um, a key variable to, to uh, inflation. Otavio, do you have anything to add there to what Last Bear was saying, to what Sem said, Sven, Joe? Well, look, I um, I think so far what we've seen uh, commodities uh, have certainly come down significantly. I think that's uh, just factually uh, uh, what's been happening, where uh, equal weighted commodities in July actually increased about 2%, while um, oil uh, certainly declined, which I think it's a bigger deal when it comes to uh, CPI number. Um, it's very difficult to uh, to have a view on the CPI just because of the uh, the calculations. As one of one of them, uh, the speakers here uh, mentioned, uh, the lagging factor is is uh, certainly the case. Um, I am also very uh, focused on the uh, owner's equivalent uh, rent. Uh, number because I think that's uh, I also believe it's going to be a, a lot more sticky than other folks believe. So um, I'm, I'm I'm a little higher in terms of the estimate. I would, if I would put out a number, I think it's a little higher than uh, than the the 8.7 uh, estimate out there. Um, but but not certainly a, a deceleration from the prior number. Um, and uh, if you look at the most of the Fed surveys uh, from Philadelphia, Kansas, uh, and so forth. Uh, most of them, prices have been coming down. Uh, small businesses came out yesterday as well. It came down, uh, and, and some of the, the price uh, surveys came down actually significantly, uh, but one of them uh, slightly. So so I, I think we're all in agreement that uh, things have uh, somewhat decelerated in the last uh, months, and perhaps CPI is, is lagging. I think the bigger, question, the bigger question to me is the market reaction, because you look at the euro dollar curve right now is inverted in terms of the one year versus three month. Um, it, it is my view that I think that the uh, those those uh, the, those cuts that are already in the curve are perhaps which are priced in already are perhaps not right. Um, I, I don't think that we're going to see cuts for in in early 2023. Uh, which is what the euro dollar curve and the Fed funds that they have a little bit different horizon on the cuts. I believe one of them is closer to March, the other one is closer to January. Um, and a change in, 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 in the shape of that curve could uh, could be 
could be very negative for equity markets. I mean, if you go back to 73, 74, and I'm not claiming we're going to see anything uh, exactly the same that played out back in those days, but it's just important to put something into perspective when we had inflation getting out of control uh, and going well above 5% and staying there for a bit. Uh, it, it wasn't, I mean, the Fed was, written, you know, hiking rates at the time, but it really, it took a decline in equity markets of, uh, of almost 50% to, uh, to really, uh, damage the CPI trend and, and start, uh, a, a downward trend for the next two to three years. But it was so embedded in the economy that it came back, roaring back, uh, in, in the later parts of the, of the 1970s. And so, um, I do think we need to see more, a lot more damage in financial markets to uh, uh, to stop uh, this 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 issue. But uh, unfortunately, I mean, um, I, I you know I still stay strong on my on my story on on the commodity side. I, I don't think we've been fixing any of the issues, right? I mean, the capex trends for most of the energy companies have barely gone up. Um, you know, I, I think if we, I track this very closely, I, I know that some of the Precious metals have gone up a little bit. Base metals slightly. Um, agricultural commodities not not a major uh, change either. So um, you know, it's just you know long long term thesis. Certainly, we haven't seen the the big changes when it comes to uh, capital investment in, in natural resources just yet. Even though it's a very common um, um, thesis that folks like to elaborate. Uh, it is it is true. I mean, we haven't really seen uh, many of those those uh, issues being resolved. So uh, I continue to be, uh, you know, focused on that long term trend uh, that is is going to be a, a big part of the inflation thesis over time. But uh, especially the commodities thesis. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I do think uh, uh, I think we're all in agreement. CPI is is. Uh, perhaps uh, somewhat decelerated. Uh, it's just a question of how much. And uh, if it didn't, certainly this, this CPI is really off because it's it's uh, or uh, owner's equivalent rent, which even that, if you track other things like Zillow rentals and so forth, you can see that even that has been somewhat decelerated. So um, anyways, uh, yeah, that's my two cents. Thank you much. And a wealthy two cents that it is, Tavio. Thank you. Uh, Joseph, kind of back to the concept, the CPI with the delayed data, a lot of folks have commented that CPI itself is pretty flawed. Uh, so given the delayed data look back and lagging indicators, what do you think? Uh, tell us kind of how you think the Fed looks at delayed data and tries to be data driven. I know recently uh, the Fed has indicated, uh, you know, that they're data driven. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, I think the Fed looks at a wide range of indicators, and they all kind of point to the same thing, that inflation is still a very large problem. So CPI can be dated, but I think it does have a big effect on how the Fed perceives what's happening, and it does, from the Fed's view, affect inflation expectations. Um, if you if you look at, not just so, we've been looking at the CPI a lot, and like you mentioned, that is dated. So I think what's important isn't so much what the CPI is printing today, but what the trajectory of it is going to be in the coming months. Is it just going to slowly come down to 2%? And when you look at other data indicators that have just come out recently, um, it, it doesn't seem like that's the case. 
So uh, I think of inflation as coming down if people are not able to afford higher prices anymore. But, but if you look at how people finance things, for example, wages, credit, or asset values, none of them have, have really come down. So if you look at what just came out yesterday from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, unit labor costs are up 10%. Um, part of that is high wages, and part of that is, as Jim mentioned, lower productivity. So that doesn't seem uh, to suggest that we're going to slowly come down to 2%. Another indicator that just came out a few days ago is consumer credit. Now, consumer credit, uh, one way people can continue to afford higher prices is by borrowing money. And consumer credit is up at a 10% annual rate. Um, in terms of levels, it's at uh, one of the highest in decades. So again, that does not suggest that inflation is coming down. And finally, if you look at asset prices, uh, we're comfortably above 4,000 on the S&P, not that far away from, you know, let's say 10, 15% from all-time highs. Again, that, that's a lot of wealth that can help finance higher prices. So um, the Fed looks at the totality of this, not just the CPI. And um, as Governor Baldwin recently noted, nothing seems to indicate that, that inflation is really coming down or even peaking. Thank you much, Gordon. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, do you have any comments on what Joseph said? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with those comments. I mean, I think what's important with respect to CPI um, that clearly has been spiking is, you know, gasoline and food prices look like they're done spiking. But I think what people may not be considering is the service component of CPI, uh, which is spiking and doesn't is related to commodity prices. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, small businesses, MFIB, and that coming down in the correlation that's had historically to CPI. Um, but I think it's small businesses may not be well represented in the services basket. Um, so when I look at what's going to happen with CPI today, I think I, I don't know what exactly what the number is going to be. But again, I think the components are important. And what drives inflation uh, in my team's view is three key things. Um, uh, uh, credit growth, um, uh, wealth growth. Um, and um, uh, those two things are, you know, Wealth growth, we just came off an all-time high, still growing. Credit growth um, is still trending um, extremely high. So the components that these guys look at, I think, are, are quite scary. And with respect to the rent component, right? So the services component is the largest component of CPI. It's surging, um, and it's unrelated to uh, commodity prices. But if you look at the rent component, I think this was discussed uh, prior, but you know, the Zillow rent index is sitting at plus 14% year over year. The CPI rent in, uh, component is sitting at just, you know, roughly 5%. And the OER, the CPI OER component is sitting at just 5.1%. So those those components, which are also big parts of CPI, lag significantly. Um, so those are going to be tailwinds to CPI well into 2023. And I think that may be something that people may not be considering. So my team thinks, you know, in the second half of this year, maybe CPI comes down to the 7 to 8% range simply because of the base effect, i.e. last year's huge spike in the fall. Uh, but I think what's important is CPI has dished out numerous surprises along the way and is now much worse than I think all of us expected a year ago. Uh, and we keep getting surprised to the upside. So when you look at the fact that like the, the you know, German, German uh, CPI came out this morning, uh, it was up despite the commodity prices coming down. 
Um, you know, I think it was it, Italian ECBI came up, came out this morning. It was down like a, a modestly, despite commodity prices coming down. It seems to us that this component is going to continue to surprise the upside. And again, if you look at the components that drive inflation, wealth and um, um, uh, credit growth, those things continue to trend very high, um, which, you know, is, is not good. One last thing. The last time they did a 75 basis point hike to the most recent one, you actually had a massive loosening in market conditions. Yields fell, stocks rose, credit spreads uh, um, uh, widened. Um, so I think the Fed is not doing enough. So we tend to take the viewpoint that CPI is going to continue to disappoint um, the bulls, if you will, to the upside. And clearly that's not good for equities. So I do kind of want to circle this back to the topic of inflation. Uh, I'm going to pivot this to Sven and Sam first. Joseph just talked about High wages, lower productivity, the trajectory—excuse me—the trajectory of inflation. Uh, Sven, you mentioned that lower productivity indicates an inflation and usually a recession. Can you talk to a little bit to that? Well, you know, we're in this process right now where you know we, we want to talk about any recession being either not happening or a very soft landing, and maybe that's possible. But if if I just highlight some history, maybe that does no longer apply. But in general, I would say history does matter. And there are some key key events taking place that are all su suggestive of a recession coming. We all know about the yield curve, of course, but that has a lagging indicator, 12 to 18 months typically. But productivity is one of those. We had big drops in productivity into negative territory in the 70s and 80s, also during high inflationary periods. But all those were followed by recession. And the read we just have here is the lowest we've had since this chart was tracked since 1948. We also have labor costs. You know, when they exceed 7% year on year, every single time a recession has ensued. And currently the read is at 8.9%. So you, you're looking at all these data points and, and you say, okay, well, what is then the case for a non-recession? And, and, and the larger issue is, I think, simply the fact that the only way to really get rid of inflation is through a recession. Of course, none of our friendly central bankers in the Fed will admit that. But interestingly enough, last week, the Bank of England came straight out and said, everybody straight, and said, do you expect a recession for the next year? Because they know, and I think maybe they're being a little bit more honest, in saying what is required to get rid of inflation in, in the longer term. And so uh, I think Gordon mentioned that financial conditions have actually eased quite a bit since Jay Powell's speech. And so, you know, you're not going to fight inflation with loosening financial conditions. So whatever happened since then has uh, gone counter to the Fed's stated mission. So there's a disconnect here, and we'll have to sort this through. Because my view is, this is the big question for all of us, you know, is June now again the low for the year, and, and that was it, and there was a short-term bear market? Or are we on a longer-term journey that suggests inflation is going to be a lot more sticky? It's going to take two or three years to really work through the system. And without a recession yet here officially, uh, that poses a lot more risks to earnings and therefore downside risks to equities. So that then could turn into a uh, maybe a one or two year bear market and the current rally will ultimately fizzle uh, as as the data progresses. Keep in mind, 
the latest Fed rate hike, 75 basis points in July, all that still has to filter through the economy, assuming even more rate hikes still coming. And given where we are historically with the entire debt construct, all this is starting to, is going to impact um, the refinancing conditions of everybody, which is it's basically slowing. Look at the other aspect here is the monetary base. When you look historically at the monetary base, either expanding or contracting, you will find the larger market kind of tagging along in, in, in the directional flow of that. And QT is really getting kicked off in full swing in September, October, November, because right now the Fed is still engaged in kind of a smaller QT because they're, they're ever so cautious in trying to not upset markets when they pull liquidity as opposed to when they go balls in as we've seen time and time again. And so that tightening process from a monetary um, base perspective is still coming and we're still on this downtrend. So if you expect suddenly the monetary base to expand and to be supportive equ equities, I don't see it at this point. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Sam, you also wrote about this pretty extensively in your great newsletter with Kai Volatility. Can you kind of walk us through the current inflationary environment from your point of view, noting that the inverted year curve is you know, at the lowest it's been in 22 years? Uh, I'm curious about your take on the idea whether inflation peaked given the labor market. Yeah, I think the... Uh the conversation that keeps centering around recession um, is is almost secondary. If we go back and look at um, the 1960s, which is kind of the last time uh, that we, we see a, kind of some similar um, effects, um, you know, you, you, what drove inflation during the 1960s, and it's not really talked about, everybody talks about the psychological effects, but it's it was fiscal policy. It was the Great Society program from uh, LBJ that that kicked us off, and the way it got started was it was a function of, uh, you know, we had our event in uh, you know in in COVID that allowed for the populist uh, rhetoric that had been building over a decade to kind of unleash this fiscal response for the left and right to kind of both come together and and have a fiscal response. In the 1960s, it was the death of JFK. Uh, JFK passing uh, brought both sides together and passed the Great Society program. Uh, that was uh, the you know introduction of Medicare and Medicaid, uh, massive fiscal policy, um, but it actually pales in comparison to the amount of fiscal policy we've passed as a, as a percentage of GDP just in the last two years. Um, that spending is is not talked about enough as as a driver. Now, to be clear. Uh, this is not a political thing. I'm not pointing the finger at one administration or the other. This is populism that that, that comes on the heels of, uh, of of inequality that has increased for 40 years in a dramatic fashion. And it's basically, you know, this is a tale as old as time. When those things, you know, when that when inequality gets to these levels, when when the Gini coefficient kind of gets to these levels, um, you start to see people at the bottom saying this is not quote unquote fair. Um, and you start to get rebalancing. And this has been a global phenomenon that we've seen. I think that's the part that people don't talk about. That, when it gets started after 40 years, does not go away quickly. <laughs> Shocking, but we're not going to solve inequality in a year after 40 years of, of massive inequality. You're not going to solve populism. And I think that's the part that everybody's missing. Um, you know, the, the reality is there's exacerbating factors. 
Um, you know, we have demographics similar to the 60s. We have a, a demographic bubble um, in the millennials, which is coming to, uh, you know, their, their prime uh, spending years, uh, much like the baby boomers 60s, that's going to exacerbate demand. And it's also going to drive these populist policies because, yes, the younger generation is the labor class. Um, you know, they are going to be, uh, you know, demanding much of the things we've been hearing for the last uh, 10 years, equality, right? Fairness, justice, these are the things they did not grow up with in terms of economic equality, much uh, like the baby boomers battled for equality and, and populism. We are, these are, there's a reason these, these things are clustering, much like the 60s. So understanding that major effect is important. That also, these are all demand side effects. That leads to supply side effects, too, as the baby boomers, the last major demographic bubble, starts to retire, which is happening labor diminishes the power of uh the, the lower kind of the the younger class that is now growing to power increases as well um and it leads to things like uh you know unionization which we're seeing a, a, a spike of popularity and also the beginning particularly on the service side here domestically like i said retirements uh protect you know broad protectionism globally which started with with trump uh you know several years ago and is continuing it's the one thing that both sides agree on uh, which people should take note of, uh, deglobalization after 40 years of deglobalization. So monetary policy is supply-side economics. It drives inequality. It is optimal free market economics, but uh, that can only go so far. And the cost of that, what the Fed was not thoughtful of for the last 40 years, is uh, you know the instability that comes from inequality. And now we're paying the cost of that. So from a big picture, uh, you know, we have to understand that you know, for, uh, the next decade is, is, is going to be about dealing with inequality that's the that's the zeitgeist that's what that generation that's coming to political power wants and taking that big perspective is important when you're looking at the sticky effects in the 60s william mcchesney martin you don't hear much about him you know he was the longest serving fed governor fed chair of all times right more than greenspan uh he was the first one to try and address this inflation in 67 69 um, the, it was structural inflation. He raised rates seven and a half percent. Everybody talks about how Arthur Burns was, you know, didn't take the Fed, uh, the Fed fund rate to, to real, uh, to positive in real terms. So he couldn't battle inflation. Guess what? McChesney Martin did by four percent, four and a half percent. And you know what it did to inflation in 69? Nothing. It lowered it a half a percent uh, from six to four and a half, six to five and a half. Uh, over the course of a year, eventually it did cause a mild recession in 67, 68, 69, which, um, which to be clear, uh, almost didn't dent inflation. And after raising it 7.5%, 4% real, they pivoted, right? Uh, because it wasn't working. It wasn't having an effect on inflation. That's important to note. When there's structural drivers, inflation is not just psychological. Everybody's talking about causing a recession to change the, the, the loop uh, the psychological loop of pulling forward demand, et cetera. Uh, there's much more at work underneath the surface. That's what we're seeing in the, the rents number, right? That's what we're seeing in the labor stickiness numbers. That is structural. That is not supply side and that is not going anywhere. So I think that's, I'll start there. There's more to talk about. I could go on about all this stuff for a while, but let, let, let's start there. 
Thank you much for that, Sam. Uh, since Alf is here, not right this second, but in a bit here, I'd be I'd be interested in the two of you continuing your conversation regarding central bank inequality from a few months ago. But first, I want to spin this back to last bear and Otavio. Sven just said that we're in a bear market and that this is a bear market rally. Uh, Sam said that we may not be able to change the structural problems of inflation. Is this true? Are we in a recession? Let's start with last bear. Um, I think it's kind of become a semantic question that, that, that everyone seems to be focused on now. I think that, that cl clearly there's deceleration going, um, but you kind of have a strange dichotomy that people are trying to work through where the consumer and businesses um, seem to be doing okay. And I think a lot of people are looking forward to um, you know, expecting that there's going to be a recession in the near future and saying that that is the case today, but there obviously are a lot of indications that suggest that that's not the case. Um, and so I think it's, you know, it, it, to maybe make a comparison, if you're on a roller coaster and you're kind of going up, you know, the, up, up the first hill and you can kind of feel at the very top, you get that sort of pit in your stomach because you know what's maybe or what you think is coming, um, but but you haven't really started falling yet. I, that That's probably the best sort of analogy that that if I was to guess where we are in the cycle is sort of right kind of at that top where where you're scared of what might be coming in the future but you haven't really started falling yet. So Otavia, would you agree with what Last Bear said? Um look, I think the big question is 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 this a mid-cycle slowdown or or the beginning of a of a a bigger downturn? Um I'm more in this in the latter part of this of the camp, uh, which believes that we are in a bear market. This is a bear market rally. Um, I think it's important to put things into perspective. When we had, you know, we uh, at Crestgate had a, a very long commodities book coming out of the, which was the beginning of one of our funds, um, and uh, in the in the COVID crash and. Uh, that part was right, but one thing we got wrong was was our bearish view on equity markets. Uh, we thought, um, you know, we sure we thought things could actually get a little bit better, but not as much as they did. I mean, the V curve, um, essential um, a movement that we had in terms of recovery was was uh, you know well, you know, I, I, not not in my estimates at all. Um, and I think the big mistake that I made back in those days was certainly uh, underestimating the, the power of, uh, of, of the stimulative policies that we had in those in the during those times. And, you know, if you put that into perspective with today, I mean, it, you know, the Fed had to slash rates to uh, uh, to zero and, and essentially double the size of their balance sheet. Um, and uh, we're not seeing the same uh, level of, of uh, or degree of, of stimulus today. We're seeing quite the opposite. And, you know, every mid-cycle we've had in the past uh, uh, slowdown was, was really uh, caused by uh, or coincided with a shift in policy sense. We're not seeing that either. So this is why I bring, I bring so much emphasis to the euro-dollar curve, uh, because, I, I don't think, you know, let's say one of one of the speakers was, was mentioning about the importance of the CPI trend rather than a print or two. And I, I completely agree with that. Uh, as, uh, if the trend is, is you know, if, if CPI, let's say, goes to 7% in, in a couple months from now, 
um, you know, does that change really the story and the dynamic of what the Fed is going to do with, with rates going forward? I mean, the euro dollar curve is essentially telling you they're going to be cutting rates. So this is not priced in uh, yet in the markets that uh, they might actually have to uh, stay at those levels uh, for longer rather than cut rates in, in early 2023. I think that's a very interesting trade because I uh, not only on the shape of the curve, but also on uh, where equity markets might actually behave if you have uh, that uh, staying higher, especially at the at the kind of six month uh, rate and so forth uh, uh, or so. And and so to me, that's that's a bigger uh, question. I, I completely agree with uh, inflation, structural problems, uh, nation, um, maybe uh, two speakers uh, before. And, uh, you know, I, I do think we've got real pillars of inflation here. Uh, we've got the wages and salaries growth, the, the structural problems as far as what we're seeing when it comes to uh, the issues of, uh, of commodities is, is, is a real problem. I mean, I, I invite anybody to, uh, to uh, you know, to, uh, to work with us here to see uh, how it is to fund, um, you know, metal companies in general to, uh, to really... Um, develop their projects and, and the, the, the difficulties of funding discoveries nowadays, which is, has absolutely zero to do with either political uh, issues that we're seeing uh, and efforts against uh, uh, those, those projects, but also just, just a normal uh, geological uh, challenge of finding natural resources in general, especially in the metal space. And so to me, this is going to be, you know, and, and the timing that it takes to develop something. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we're certainly in the business and it, 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 it is a very, um, you know, long process and complex to, uh, uh to get uh, a natural resource project and just think about what I've maybe said it before, but base metals, you know, when was the last time a, a company in the base metal space was, was, uh, you know, developed a, a new project in the base metals uh, side of things, it's uh, you know we haven't seen that in many many decades. Uh, fiscal stimulus is 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 a huge part of this. Uh, I agree 100% with that. I mean, if you just look at inflation adjusted, which um, or, or GDP adjusted, what we're seeing of of deficits today, government spending relative to what we saw in the 70s, and if you read most of the economic reports that economic council in the U.S. Uh, government was putting out back in the 70s, which I, if you haven't read it, I suggest everybody to read it. There was a, a certainly a general sense of, 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 what's, uh, uh, of, of what's happening when it comes to uh, with, with uh, the damage of fiscal stimulus and, and inflationary problem. Um, and uh, I, think, I think that sense is, is certainly not here right now. Uh, and uh, perhaps uh, we'll uh, will take uh, a few years for for policymakers to realize that, and I think that the globalization trends are, are real. I mean, I think going back to the forties and, and and maybe having that as as an analog is is my biggest issue because back in the mid forties was the end of, of 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 a of a deglobalized world, not the beginning of one, and so I think this is quite different than what we're seeing today. So. Um, those those are real structural uh, things that uh, will probably, in my view, continue to uh, um, to uh, to feed into this this inflationary environment that we're in. Uh, so those are the biggest uh, things to me. So I, I don't think this is a mid cycle slowdown. I, I do think this is a uh, a bigger problem, and uh, so that's really 
our focus is to cycling trees or, or shorts as we have markets going higher as a hedge on our commodities book. So this is really um, how we are seeing this. Thank you much, Tavio. Uh, Alf, we got Alf here, a great pizza connoisseur, the bond master, Substack, and podcast man, constant force on macro on Twitter. Welcome back. CPI just dropped uh, 8.5 versus the expected 8.7. And Alf, maybe, I mean, it's a lot to talk about. Spies up 1.7% pre-market. Uh, maybe, Alf, if you want to start about what the CPI quote-unquote beat means for the markets and uh, whether we're in a recessionary bear market rally. And and again, I'd like everybody's opinion on this. So after, you know, Alf, you give your two cents. Anybody else that's interested in commenting or if you disagree or agree with anything else, says, feel free to raise the little Twitter spaces emoji hand and we'll get you in there. So uh, the numbers are out. And as always, instead of looking at year on year, uh, figures here, you should look at months on months because the Fed will care about the momentum of inflation and the composition of inflation. Months on months numbers, headline 0%, prior was 1.3 on a months on months basis, and the survey was 0.2. So it's a disappointment. I mean, disappointment. It's lower than expectations. And core inflation months on months is 0.3% against survey 0.5 and prior 0.7. So also on a core level, uh, month on month inflation has slowed down. Uh, rent of primary residence, so rent of shelter, let's say, which is considered to be one of the stickiest part of inflation, rose 0.7% uh, this month against 0.8 in June. So it seems that, you know, even on, a, on the stickiest part of inflationary basket that had a little bit of a slowdown from a month-to-month perspective, uh, the, the downside surprise overall, both on headline and on core, is so big that actually only four of the 63 forecasters in Bloomberg have gotten the 0% headline month-on-month right. Only four out of 63. So it is a downside surprise. It is what the Fed wants to see, actually. So the combination of the labor market report, which was, I think, much more optimistic than it really is uh, under the hood, but nevertheless still a decent labor market situation right now, uh, and a momentum of inflation that finally slows down, and also the composition of it, so the stickiest component of the basket, actually take a breather, is exactly what the Federal Reserve wants to see. And so also from a market perspective, you are probably going to get some validation of uh, some sort of, let's say, Fed pivot is a big word, but a, of, of a slowdown in tightening of monetary policy from the Federal Reserve, which translates into you know higher multiples. Uh, the curve stops flattening like there's no tomorrow, but actually steepens back a little bit. Uh, the dollar eases, so euro dollar goes up, and you get all this uh, all this reaction, which I think is justified by uh, the combination of labor market report and CPI numbers that we just saw. So, Gordon, how are you feeling? Is this what uh, is this exactly what the Fed wanted to see, or was there a different expectation? No, I think those comments by Alf were spot on. I think that this is certainly what they wanted to see. I think the rent shelter component um, is, is, is certainly surprising. Uh, but again, I think that making, you know, strong trends, or I'm sorry, strong suggestions on one report, um, I think is dangerous. Um, I think we need to see a couple of more. Um, and, you know, I think I'll said as much, you know, if you look at what the Fed has said, right, they've said that their main target is fighting inflation, and they're targeting, targeting getting infl- inflation down to 2%. Whether you believe them or not, um, to get inflation down to 2%, 
um, declining economic activity is actually their desired outcome. Um, so again, looking at this one number, definitely positive for them. But again, looking at what really fuels, you know, in our view, nominal spending, which is what fuels inflation, wealth, wages, credit, all of those things are still growing at an accelerated clip. Um, so it's clear that while this report is good, looking at those three dynamics, um, you know, their monetary policy is still, you know, too accommodative. So I, I, I don't agree that the Fed is going to become um, uh, uh, more favorable to a, um, a loosening position. I think they're going to continue ahead uh, with aggressive tightening. Um, and I think you're going to hear that in the coming days. Um, so that, that, that would be our stance. Thank you much. I'm going to spin this over to you, Sven. How are you feeling about this? Does this mean that the, the Fed is doing you know, what needs to be done? Is what the Fed's doing working? Or, or like a couple speakers have said so far, is it too early to tell? No, I mean, this is, this is the historic script. You, <clears throat> we had very much tightening financial conditions in the first half of the year. We had a, a broad stock market uh, slowdown, a rather correction bear market, if you will, all, since the stock market has gotten so much larger from cycle to cycle vis-a-vis -vis the actual size of the economy. When you see big drawdowns in stock market, it's going to definitely impact spending and, and confidence. And, and we've seen all that. So that's, that's a positive in that sense. The question is, obviously, is, is that enough now to declare victory? I don't think so at all. Um, they're going to have to keep tightening. As we know, QT is going to kick off really hard in September. Uh, so this is a process. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, inflation peaked, rolled over, and that means we're going straight back to 2%, certainly not on core inflation either. So the, the work is not done. It's a first important step. It's certainly what the Fed would like to see. Um, the, I think ultimately the danger is, you know, we're getting into midterms and the Fed may adopt a pause and stop approach, right, where they declare, you know, somewhat partial victory. And then they pause at some point and say, basically, we want to see how the data evolves, especially if you get a couple more CPI reports here in, in August and September before the next Fed meeting. The danger is that that's where we're repeating this 1974 type example where, you know, all this jubilation that will not come out of this is further easing financial conditions and that this going to make inflation more sticky in the long term, and then they're going to have to slam the foot on the brake even harder. So, you know, this is this is, this is is going to be an interesting journey. Obviously, markets, uh, as you would expect with a rollover inflation, is uh, currently very positive. question is, does this stick as we're actually approaching this report here very much overbought on a number of indicators? And the, you know, what's the firepower here to drive this further into resistance? Because we are at key technical resistance. I always look at technicals as well in terms of the macro context. So from my perspective, and I said this, I believe, last time, we don't have a confirmed new bull market until we have sustained moves above the weekly 50 MAs and, and the daily 200 MAs, and we're still far from, from that. So I'd be curious to see how this data reaction now evolves into month and don't forget, we have Jackson Hole coming up, uh, and I think all eyes will be on Powell to see whether his comments in July, whether he confirms those again in terms of removing guidance or whether he walks those back a little bit as well. So monthly close, I think, will be really interesting.
Yeah, I'd agree that there's a lot of pressure on Powell for you know the questions that are to come. Uh, I want to spin this back to the entire panel. Nobody in particular. Anybody else have any comments on what he said? Maybe we can kick this over to Joseph. Do you have any you know additional things to add about? Do you think this is working? What the Fed's doing is working. Uh, I think Elf did a great breakdown of CPI. And it does look like it's softening. And I think the Fed will like seeing this. After all, we see CPI coming down a little bit. But I think we should remember that CPI is still 8.5%, and the Fed strives for a target of about 2%. I agree with Jim that a lot of what's happening, it's what's driving inflation, is structural and fiscal driven. It seems in a lot of ways we are really reliving what happened in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, back then, and if you go to Jim's Twitter feed, he has a lot of really good threads on this. And back then, people seemed to understand that inflation was caused not just by monetary policy and fiscal policy. So there was a lot of discussions as to raising taxes to try to reduce the fiscal deficit and tamp down inflation. But there's none of that going on right now. It's really difficult to do. So even if inflation is largely caused by structural and fiscal factors, the responsibility for inflation falls to the Fed. And in my view, that just means they have to push much harder on the only lever that they have, interest rates. Um, as we see in the markets, interest the, the market seems to be doubting the Fed's resolve. And you can see the reaction today. We have slightly lower CPI. So obviously, in a few months, the Fed will be cutting rates, right? But that that's a reputation that I understand. If you think back to what happened in 2018, Powell told the market he was going to raise rates in 2019. And when January came along, he actually started to cut rates. So he has this reputation for being a pivoter. But I think that's probably understandable, but not going to be correct right now. You already have a sled of Fed speakers over the past few days trying to tell the market that the Fed is really not done. They really won't be cutting rates next year. And they're trying to going to keep a higher for longer posture. Um, this CPI coming down month over month is a good thing. Um, but 8.5% inflation is, is really far from where the Fed wants to be. So I, I suspect that the market is overreacting, that rates will have to go back higher, the implied path of policy will go back higher, and that's going to be quite negative for, for a wide range of risk assets. Thank you. Uh, Sam, Joseph just said that we're kind of potentially reliving the 1970s. You mentioned Volcker versus Powell and made a comparison to people like Arthur Burns. How do you feel about this CPI print and structural versus cyclical CPI? And again, whole panel, feel free to jump in at any time. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, look, uh, if you if you poll people uh, about the responses of Fed chairs uh, during the 60s and 70s, everybody would say they were out to lunch and that uh, you know they were a major driver of, of the structural inflation that took hold. Um, if our assumption broadly, which is what you hear from people these days, is that the Fed is going to now pivot or slow down or stop, uh, you know, here, um, you know, with with real rates massively negative, right? Uh, what does that pretend for structural inflation? Ask yourself, right? Everybody's talking about the mistakes of Fed chairs past, um, and, and yet, uh, yet, yet calling or expecting some type of pivot. Um, 
pivoting or even slowing and stopping here to watch after what's relatively small increase relative to inflation would be structurally, you know, fanning the flames of, of, of inflation and, and letting the market actually uh, run quite a bit hotter. So, you know, ironically, a, a, a lower than expected inflation print um, can have the exact opposite effect, right? Um, and remember, there's a mass, I, I don't think, by the way, Powell's going to, I think the market is is expecting that or trying to front run uh, that, uh, that, but I think the reality is that Powell is a big uh, follower, a big uh, fan of, of Powell. He's made that clear uh, many times. He considers him like the best uh, Fed chair of all times and one of the, the you know the greatest public servants in, in, in modern history. So um, he's very, very cognizant of, of, of many of the things that we're talking about. Uh, ironically, also, this could uh, this could raise uh, you know long term like ten year break evens, right? Uh, if the Fed's going to pivot, and that's ultimately what the Fed is most worried about, right? So, so I think um, you know, there's a reflexive effect at work in markets here. Uh, we should always be thoughtful of that. When you see a number that comes in lower, um, you know, be, be cautious of, of uh, thinking this is uh, very positive. Again, uh, there's a reason by how the news exists, right? Uh, in the short term, this has been a, um, you know, a, a rally on the back of people expecting a, a, a peak in CPI, which has not, has been fairly obvious. Um, and a decline from what are very high levels. So, uh, you know, be, be careful taking, uh, you know, this is, is incredibly positive news uh, in the medium term. Um, now, that doesn't mean today, today, you know, just from a structural perspective, you have to understand, uh, you know, skew uh, and, and vol in the front has been very high. This is something we haven't talked about yet, but, uh, you know, there's underlying support in this market that's significant when an event goes by. I've talked about this in terms of vol positioning. I won't talk too much into this because it's more of an inflation conversation, but but expect you'd expect after these events, uh, regardless of the outcome, for there to be support. When it's a positive number, it just exacerbates kind of the positive knee-jerk reaction here. So be, be mindful of the the reflexive effects here and how ultimately this is probably a, uh, one of the worst things that can happen for, for um, you know, secular inflation, much like we saw in the 60s. Anyone else on the panel have any comments to what Sam said? All right, we'll keep on trucking along here. So Last bear, I'm going to move on to you next. The markets still seem to be pricing in the 2023 pivot. I'm sure a lot of people listening to the space right now might not believe that. Uh, and then I do want to spin Alf on this as well, because Alf wrote a great thread on Fed futures indicators. But first, Last bear, what do you think? Would this print, does a 2023 pivot seem more likely? Um, I think it's always going to be tough to look at any specific month and, and try to make a, a long-term judgment off that. But I, what is clear is that particularly in longer duration fixed income, if you look at the 10-year treasury, um, that is what's being priced in. I mean, the, the, uh, we're, this won't change, in my opinion, this isn't going to change the, the Fed's hiking path for the you know, coming couple months, maybe a difference between 75 versus 50. But they're going to continue to raise going forward. I think that if they were to pivot, <laughs> I don't think it's likely that they're going to pivot. So um, if you look at where Fed fund rates are now and the 10 years trading at about 40 basis point 
sort of spread above that. Basically, the, the market is saying that, you know, that, that it's done, that the, the hiking cycle is, is effectively done now or, or as soon as sort of the next, the, you know, the next meeting, which I think is very premature. Um, and I think that, you know, there's, if, if you look at risk and reward profile, of you know long duration um, treasuries or long duration fixed income, you know there's it's already pricing in a, a pivot, um, and so for you to really have a lot of upside on that kind of um, you know on a bed like that, really what would have to happen is not just for the Fed to stop, but for the Fed to slash rates by a percent or a percent and a half or whatever for for you to really actually see. The principal value of those bonds increase substantially, like they did in in 2020. Let's say, whereas you know the, the other side of the equation is if they continue to raise rates, um, and and you start to have sort of a more typical premium between short term rates and long term rates, you could have you know 10 year rates sort of double or increase by you know a, a percent or two percent um, in the coming months or six months or a year or so, which is a lot of principal downside on, on those bonds. So I still think that, you know, the market is currently now pricing in something that seems unrealistic. And I think if you're looking at risk and reward on duration, um, that it seems, it doesn't seem like a good uh, risk reward profile in my opinion. So given all of that last bear, do you think based on what we're seeing now that you'll once again be the last bear standing? No, I don't. I don't think that. Like, like to go to bring back to the sort of roller coaster analogy that that I said. I think like the reason why everybody feels anxiety about this, you know, question of are we in a recession or whatever, um, is because there are a lot of real questions and concerns about the economy going forward. Um, both as you know, as rate hikes sort of find their way through the real economy, and that sort of takes time. Um, and, and just sort of the, the secular uh, headwinds that we have going forward. I think that those are really real concerns, um, and that's what's giving people a lot of anxiety, and I don't think that that has changed because of any sort of CPI print or anything like that. Um, and so I think that I, I wouldn't look at something like this as a, as a you know, fundamental change in the direction of the market, um, and I, I would, I'm sure that there's going to be some people persuaded to the other side um, as there always is, but it, it certainly doesn't change my perspective. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Alf, I want to come to you next. Do you think you could walk us through your bond pricing pivot indicator for everybody? Uh, yes, let's do that. So I yesterday wrote a, a tweet on uh, this indicator. And feel free to share that tweet to the top of the space here. You should be able to as a speaker. I wish I was as tech savvy as this. No problem. I'll, uh, I'll go find it and do it while you speak. No problem. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Very kind of you. So uh, what I did in this tweet is I looked at um, forward interest rates and I tried to look at instances over the last 30 years or so where the bond market was pricing a Fed pivot immediately after a hiking cycle. So what I did is I looked at 18 months um, forward Fed funds against six months forward Fed funds, which basically would mean what are the Fed funds in 2024, February 2024, minus what are the Fed funds in February 2023, which according to the bond market would be roughly when the Federal Reserve is done hiking this time. I then took this same assumption, so when will the Fed be done hiking, 
and what will be the Fed fund rates one, one year after that period. And I did the same analysis for the last 35 years. And what happened if you drop this, uh, if you plot this series, is that you can see that every time the bond market was anticipating the Fed to cut rates immediately after a swift hiking cycle, exactly like it would be right now if this realizes, the bond market was basically spot on five out of five times. The caveat, obviously, is that in all of these periods, we didn't have inflation at 9%, clearly, which makes today's pivot much more complicated. But still, I think it's an interesting series to have a look at. In 1998, the bond market price cuts by this uh, indicator uh, by December 1998, and the Fed started cutting in October 1998. Uh, in 2001, it also caught the cycle. In 2008, it was a bit late, but also caught some of the cutting cycle. In 2019, it was spot on. And right now, it's pricing cuts uh, to effectively start happening already in Q2 2023. So by this indicator, uh, say given the accuracy that's had over the last 35 years, you might want to argue that the bond market was already and is already smelling something like an inflationary slowdown that would allow the Fed to um, take the foot off the gas pedal. Again, the caveat is that this time inflation is at 9%, as Joseph said. 8.5% inflation, it's definitely not uh, a setup that easily allows any central bank to pivot because it is so far away from any comfort zone definition of uh, price stability. Also, the other point I want to make is that if inflation would print at 0%, literally 0% month-to-month CPI between now and year-end, you will still end the year at 6.2% inflation year-on-year in 2023. And then, obviously, you know, 0% inflation month to month from now onwards is pretty much downside surprises back to back. So that would be possibly amongst the most uh, credibly dovish base case scenario you can have when it comes to pricing a Fed pivot. Still, it would leave inflation at above 6%. The trend would look good, but inflation would still look above 6%. So um, just wanted to give some historical perspective with this tweet. Um, telling everybody that when the bond market prices this setup cuts immediately after a hiking cycle, it is generally right, although there is a caveat to be made this time. Thank you much. Does anyone have any comments to what Alf said? Good deal. So, Otavio, I'm going to move on to you next. You mentioned that we are in a recession and the Fed will struggle with economic wind downs in the future. What do you think about what everyone's saying so far and and about what Sam said in quotes here? Powell, the greatest public servant in a generation. Uh, Sam was saying that some are having that speculation. Would you agree? What do you think about what's been said so far? Well, I, I don't think it's really my job to be uh, uh, really uh, <laughs> trying to figure out how great uh, Jay Powell has been. But it's it's really, I think, my job to be looking for positioning and uh, market positioning, general and opportunities. I think, to answer your question, I, I, I don't know. The, the recession question is, definition is, is tricky, but I think the bear market is, 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 is a, perhaps a better definition of things. And so, I'm more focused on the asset, uh, risky assets uh, uh, behavior going forward, which I, I do think that it's uh, further downturn is, is is more likely than than than, than less likely. Um, you know, the the euro dollar curve is in, or the Fed funds rate curve is 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 really really interesting when it comes to looking at 
um, how you know how market is positioning itself going forward. I, I do think you know this is just my personal view. Um, I, I do think that this this uh, inversion that we have in in most uh, spreads in the euro dollar curve, especially one year out, um, is you know probably won't be proving uh, correct. I, I don't think I think the Fed is is unlikely. I mean some of those. Uh, some of those uh, contracts a little out, like September, October, and so forth, uh, depending on the euro dollar Fed funds, uh, especially euro dollar, uh, are, are pricing in you know barely, or I think one one more hike, I believe for um, for the December 2023 from here, um, and I, I don't think that that's uh, that's that's right, and I you know I, I just think that a shift in narrative. Uh, from uh, very uh, a lot of dovishness in in the long end, uh, from from less dovish could be uh, could be interesting from a symmetry perspective. Um, and my views on on the markets in general is is what I said earlier, which is um, you know if we're not seeing any uh, substantial uh, stimulative environment from the monetary side, uh, and we're seeing actually the opposite of that in a in a in a time when, if you look at yield curve inversions right now, uh, you know we are inverted in, in most uh, spreads. So right now we're close to, uh, I think my calculation is about 42% of the possible spreads in the treasury curve are now inverted. Um, you know my indicator of percentage of yield curve inversions that I created in 2018, uh, when I look back all the way to the 60s and 70s. Uh, um, what I found was that you know it's really when you get to the seven, 70 to seventy five percent of inversions is when is aligned with uh, you know with with the downturn in equity markets and and um, uh, and in some cases it's not even the equity markets it's just a goal to S and P five hundred ratio that tends to rise if if that makes any sense but in some situations that ratio is caused by the equity markets falling some situations caused by gold rising some sort caused by both legs working um, to me that's that's the interesting part of the thesis here and so uh, we've seen a, a spike in the indicator recently I would say in the last uh, uh, month uh, there has been a, a, a significant change in in the percentage of inversions I do think we're going to see that 70 to 75 percent in in uh, you know it could it could happen again in, in one month. Um, or a few weeks, depending on the market reaction, um, and, and that would be further confirmation of my uh, of my base case, which is the answering your question again, the continuation of a bear market. So, um, but we haven't seen that yet. I think labor markets play a big role here too, because um, you know more than than even CPI going forward, because I think we're going to see the uh, bigger issues there as we see um, um, earnings. Uh, beginning to show some some issues, so you know it's it's interesting. Right now, we just had um, earnings released for most of the companies, and uh, I've been paying very very close attention to those that have increased their guidance uh, recently because I, I you know I've, I've uh, I'm very focused on looking for those uh, short opportunities, and I you know, I think there's going to be some of those uh, that uh, we use our quant models to also look for those, but I I think. I think uh, as you seek for hedges in the short side, um, it is going to be important to look for companies that have increased their guidance and still uh, will likely be facing some uh, some margin squeezes and goes back to the question of equity markets and economy. So 
it's hard to believe with PMIs at you know, global uh, levels that we saw in the global financial crisis and levels that we saw in 2020 recession with the uh, Federal Reserve still tightening uh, with the CPI at, at the print that it is currently. But that's going to end up being positive for risky assets um, going, you know, talk, you know, talk, talking 12 months from now or so. And um, and so, you know, to us, again, the positioning is important. And that's euro dollar uh, curve is is, uh, is is a big part of the thesis. And so I'm, I'm looking for things that look uh, somewhat asymmetric and I Unfortunately, euro dollar, while the, the curve looks interesting, is maybe not the best positioning, at least from our standpoint. So we think shortening markets is maybe a better positioning for this. But uh, uh, it's just our two cents. But uh, I do think the euro dollar curve is, is going to look very different. It's probably going to look much steeper uh, in, in the next uh, uh, six months from now or so as, as we shift the narrative a little bit. Thank you, Otavio. I want to move on to the entire panel here uh, with Otavio's idea of structural versus cyclical inflation. Uh, quoting the great report by Zoltan from Credit Suisse here, uh, central banks are adapting to a world that is having too much uh, supply and not enough demand to one, uh, excuse me, to, and uh, so there's, there, it seems there's more of a supply side issue here and not enough things to kind of support that supply side issue today's inflation again is more about supply and less about demand uh with the lack of fed supply side control despite the lower cpi print do we see any kind of evidence of supply side problems lessening here and again anyone feel free to comment this i think can be a good discussion yeah can i can i jump in on that this is gorgeous please yeah oh. is, that, is that okay can i jump in yeah, go ahead yeah, so I, I think that this viewpoint that, you know, it's a supply side issue, in our view, is, is, is grossly misplaced. And let me explain. So, you know, if you think about it, right, during the first 100 years of the Fed, they printed about $900 billion, uh, first 100 years. And when Obama introduced QE, the administration introduced QE, which was a totally new framework concept, in roughly three years, they printed uh, $3 trillion. So they did 300 years worth of money printing in three years. However, with the current Fed, uh, Powell and co, uh, in two months, they did $3 trillion in monetary stimulus. So they did 300 years worth of stimulus in two months. Um, and not only did they do that, but then he vocally urged Congress uh, to join in, in our view, the spending orgy um, and implement fiscal stimulus, which they did um, in an unprecedented way with the American Recovery Act, $2.2 trillion. So you printed all this money, right, which increases demand for goods and services without an increase in the supply of those goods and services, which is the very definition of inflation. Um, so I think that this is a demand problem, um, primarily due to, you know, a very aggressive Fed uh, that printed 300 years worth of money from a monetary perspective in, you know, two months. Um, I think that, you know, so, so I think that's one dynamic. And just going back to the inflation report, just, just take, step, take a step back and think about this, right? 8.5% CPI inflation, yet the Fed is going to pivot. I mean, that, that's, I, I just think that's crazy. And when you look at the components, yes, gasoline is down 7.7% month over month, but it's still up 44% year over year. You have food prices up 1.1% month over month. Annualized, that's over 12% 
annualized food inflation, which is actually up from last month. And the rent of shelter component up 0.6%, which is over, you know, 7% inflation annualized. So I know the market's reacting positively, but number one, I think that we have a demand problem to, to the question, not a supply problem driven by um, uh, reckless uh, money printing, which, by the way, has driven, you know, boom and bust cycles, wealth inequality um, and, and a number of other problems. But I also think that if you look at the components of this inflation report, the idea that the Fed's going to pivot or that they're going to be comforted by this, I think, as the market is assuming right now, may be mispriced. Thank you. I'm going to I'm going to hop in here if that's OK. Um, I, I agree uh, with part of what Gordon's saying, but I, I very much disagree with another part of it. Um, one, uh, yes, we do have primarily a demand problem here uh, on our hands. Um, and it is primarily driven by spending, but I, I think he doesn't properly differentiate between monetary and fiscal spending. And I think this is a, a broad issue that that most people seem to have. That both people seem to equate both stimulus as equivalent and both driving inflation. I, I think it's critical, critical, critical that for people to understand that monetary policy is supply side economics. It is the reason that for the last forty years we have lived in a deflationary environment when monetary policy increases dramatically like it has it provides money to corporations and wealthy individuals and to investment that is the point of monetary policy and when monetary policy does that it drives greater technological innovation broader it drives globalization because corporations and investment ultimately uh, is is deflationary uh, it, it drives a, a search for for higher profits which means reducing higher competition and reducing uh, cost of goods that is what we've seen for 40 years. That's the facts. Um, so ironically, the, 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 the massive uh, you know, stimulus we saw from the monetary side has been deflationary. The removal of it is actually removing uh, supply. There's a lag to that. It takes time. But moving money, uh, removing money from corporations actually only affects uh, demand to the extent that there's a, from a trickle-down effect, which really, really doesn't work uh, that well, as, as has been well-documented, A, never did, and, and B, it's even less so than ever because our domestic labor is much less of an input than it used to be. So correct fiscal policy and the dramatic use of fiscal policy in the last several years has been a, a dramatic driver of this inflation, but it's important to differentiate between the two. And ironically, the removal of monetary policy will only serve to, to exacerbate structural inflation because it is removing money from supply. And I think that's an important thing to know. I think I'll add, just in addition to fiscal monetary, I think there are also demographic factors that are structurally make, uh, driving inflation. And as you all know, we have a very tight labor market. And as a result of that, wages are going higher. And part of the reason, it seems, is because we have a shrinking labor force. So for the past few decades, we've had demographics where the working age population has steadily increased. But because of low birth rates and because people are living longer, that's just not happening anymore. Um, as the boomers retire, we, our working force population isn't increasing anymore. And this was always going to happen. But what happened during the past two years is the boomers, many of them retired early. So their labor force participation rate is lower than it was pre-pandemic. And that seems to be one of the contributing factors to um, very tight labor market, higher wages. And that's not something that's going to get any better um, because boomers will keep retiring. Uh, just, just taking a step back, even uh, speaking more broadly over the past few decades. So 
the labor market globally, not just in our country, was growing. So um, let's say in the early 2000s when China and uh, India and they, let's say the Eastern European countries became more integrated into global labor force, you had this tremendous surge in labor that was a very strong deflationary force pushing down wages. Now, globally, even in China, people are aging. So there's going to be fewer people. The dependency ratio is going to be higher, so to speak. There's going to be fewer people working. And so what we see as a tight labor market today could actually be structural. And that means wages will be structurally higher. And that means inflation is probably going to be structurally higher as well, uh, depending on how policy reacts. Can I comment on one, one thing made? Uh, one Please, yeah. Uh, just real quick. On, on the idea that the monetary stimulus has helped uh, the masses. If you just simply, if you go to the, the, the fred.stlouis.org website and you look at the share of wealth held by the top 1% versus the share of wealth held by the bottom 50%, and you also consider that MMT, modern monetary theory, theory was really ushered in by Greenspan in the 1990s. I mean, you could see that the share of wealth held by the bottom 50% 1990 to today is actually down significantly, whereas the share of wealth held by the top 1% has exploded uh, significantly. So I think wealth, you know, disparate wealth inequality, I think, is if you look historically how great nations fall. So I think that this MMT and this trickle down um, economics, which admittedly is still the case today, um, I think if you look at the hardcore numbers, I, I don't think that's supported. Yeah, I. To be clear, I couldn't agree more. Federal Reserve policy, supply-side economics has driven massive inequality globally. That's my, my main point as well. Um, to, I would also agree with uh, Joseph. Uh, I, I think it's not, not, enough made, not enough is made of demographics and the importance of it. Um, globally, as he mentioned, uh, I think a, a, an add-on point to that, which I think is very important, is how much underinvestment there has been in the younger uh, you know, millennial on generation on down, uh, you know, again, 34 percent wealth uh, of, of where the baby boomers were at their age. Uh, home ownership is, is uh, around 10 to 15 percent of where baby boomers were. They um, they are creating households later. Um, and, uh, and and there is a lot of uh, pent up demand coming from what is already a demographic bubble there. Meanwhile, uh, labor is falling off on the back end of the baby boomer generation. Understanding those demographics, those are structural. Those are things that are not going to change. Uh, and there are similar things that we saw in the 60s and 70s. So I think we'll probably wrap up in about 10 minutes or so before market open. But I do want to keep this open to the panel. Does anybody have any agreements or disagreements with what's been said so far? All right. So I do want to ask one more thing to the panel as well about you know, CPI and the accuracy of the metrics there. So looking at CPI, rents about 30% of the CPI makeup and oil and gas is approximately 9%. No one in particular, uh, Alf, Sven, Otavio, Joseph, feel free to chime in here. Last bear. Do we think that, you know, these metrics are accurate when looking at inflation? And if not, what should the Fed be looking at? Uh, just to comment on the on the rent inflation, uh, actually that made a new high in this report. So you can argue in this context, the Fed's tightening so far hasn't produced results yet. And obviously, the the drop we saw in energy components have nothing to do with with the Fed itself. Uh, I would I would venture to guess here that 
and this is why maybe just make a technical comment here. I think we're all obviously involved in markets in one way or another. Uh, I would look here, this area between 4,200 to 4,250 is an interesting one because we're approaching some very key resistance. I always like to look at it from a confluence perspective. You have the daily 150 MA, you got the January lows coming up, and you have also the 50% retrace from the uh, January high to June low. So this is kind of an interesting area where I'd say if if bears want to assert themselves here, uh, that may be an area to do it. Uh, otherwise, you still, again, have risk high under the weekly 50 MA or daily 200 MA. But from a you know, structural perspective, uh, I think this this kind of reminds me a little bit of 2000 in a sense that we had a big blow up. We had a top early in the year, then we had the tech blow up. And then we had a lot of chop in ranges all summer long. And August was a positive month back then. But then the slowdown in the economy became more of a bearing and we started entering into a recession. I, I think that's not off the table here still. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this evolves here in the next uh, three to four weeks into September. Uh, don't forget seasonality. We have a midterm election coming, and actually that sees some stress into September, October as well before the standard year and market rally. But I, I think at this point we're still at 8.5% inflation. It doesn't mean all of a sudden you know, all the prices are coming down for consumers. They're not. Consumers are continuing to be under massive stress. We still have to deal with higher prices. We've outstripped uh, real wage growth now for since April of last year. So that's the reason why we see people going into credit card debt. And as long as the housing component, as it currently seems to be, still be a major pressure on people, I don't think the consumer is all of a sudden in a jubilant mode here. Although psychology will play a bit big factor as, as well. But the fact is, prices are still sky high so i think the talk about rate cuts yet is is a pretty premature unless you you see a market slowdown going into a recession because then the fed will cut rates even if inflation is still high that's the historic example from 74 80 and 80 82 so i think we all need to stay very open-minded here as this all is evolving i'll leave it at that I would just add kind of to the point about, you know, whether it's CPI is the methodology is right or not. I, I think it kind of doesn't matter. Like you can make your argument about why it should be different or, or whatever, <laughs> but and it, it, it doesn't practically matter if, if they're not going to change the methodology or if everyone else agrees that, that these are the right numbers. Like that's the numbers that they're making, you know, making their decisions based off of, like you're kind of screaming into the wind a little bit on on that point, but you know also the CPI is, is one measure of inflation. Obviously, the Fed looks at PCE price indices price indices for services and goods. Um, you can look at employment, you know, wages, um, which are continued, you know, continue to be strong. So it, it's definitely I, I would just you know continue to caution people that it's this one measure of inflation. There's a number of them, um, and they're all still high at the moment. All right. If anybody else has any comments, feel free to chime in. Otherwise, I think we can get moving forward. I'll say one quick last thing as it relates to markets, because ultimately we're all here to see you know, what the next trade is. Um, important to note from the ball side uh, that 
again, I want to emphasize this point. A, a lot of this move here is structural, has very little to do with CPI. Um, you know, has, has to do with time moving forward, the event passing and ball coming down. Uh, ball is very, very well supplied. Calls have been overwritten this market and it is compressing ball dramatically. I would expect that to continue till the expiration on next Wednesday. So do not expect some massive turnaround here. I would expect some more ball compression till next Wednesday. Thank you, Sam. Anybody have any agreement or disagreement with that before we wrap her up? All right, so I think what I'll do now is just kind of everybody, let's go through, say your last piece, and if you've got anything you're working on, any blogs or videos or anything that's come out recently or is coming out, please do so. Let's start with last bear, last thoughts. Um, nothing to add. Just follow me on Twitter or Substack if you like uh, listening to me talk. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the panel. Thanks for coming, man. Joseph, any last thoughts? Uh, no, thanks so much for organizing, and thanks so much, everyone, for being on the panel. Thank you. Sven, any last thoughts? I'm enjoying summer. I hope you guys do as well. We have a drought in the UK. Can you believe it? Drought. We haven't had any rain in six weeks. So. Oh, wow. In the UK, no I, less. Oh, yeah. It's, it's absolutely insane. Another heat wave coming. So, you know, I live in the country, so we... I'm talking to the local farmers all the time. They're all, they're all sweating. It's pretty bizarre. So uh, that's just a local concern, if you will. But uh, no, in general, I'm, I think this is a, one of the most fascinating macro uh, and technical environments that we've been in. And I'm very much enjoying this journey here, trying to solve this ongoing puzzle, which I think just a general saying, you know, for all the challenges, I think this is one of the greatest trading environments in, in years. We, we have finally some volatility back, even though it's it's uh, very much compressed. But I, as a trader, I just love two-way action. So that's it's it's a much different environment than we had last year when we were just you know, going up with the fit balance sheet. So uh, I think this is, this is an interesting time. So I hope you guys enjoy this as well. Thank you, man. Stay safe and stay cool. And uh, I, I agree with what you said about the markets in general there. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the concept of trading what's in front of you, not your biases. Yeah, perfect. Thank you, Sven, for coming as always. Alf, any last thoughts? Yeah, I've been looking into the details of the report. Uh, there's quite a lot to unpack. Um, I'll be writing a thread after on Twitter um, and an article tomorrow on the Macro Compass. Because the labor market report and the CPI report, I think they should be looked at uh, together to assess uh, the Federal Reserve reaction function going forward. More interestingly, as Ben said, it's not about what, how we feel about the market, but it's the path of least resistance the markets will be pricing in over the next few months. So I think I'll try to put the pieces of the puzzle together on Twitter tonight and on the newsletter, the Macro Compass tomorrow. Thanks for inviting me, guys. It's always a pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure to have you. Your input is absolutely necessary in these times. Thank you, Alf. Otavio, any final thoughts? Anything you got to plug? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. It was great to hear everyone's opinion. Um, I think it's uh, some final thoughts uh, regarding your question on, on CPI. And I think um, it's it's quite interesting to me how oil continues to hold up despite this you know, 30 million barrels of, of selling that the government is doing, which I think is the most erratic energy policy we've seen probably in history. Um, and it, it speaks to how tight the supply remains in energy space. And we know for a fact that a lot of companies are still paying 
more dividends and doing more buybacks in aggregate than capex, and that's uh, that's a, a real interesting setup. I mean, this is uh, we're living in a time when uh, you have some energy companies paying fifteen to twenty percent dividend yields with a lot of uh, price uh, appreciation potential. With uh, a few other companies in the mining space, uh, especially gold miners, now paying higher dividends than utility stocks, I and mean, that's. That's what people buy utility stocks for defensive reasons and for the dividend and uh, amazes me the valuation of some of those of those companies outside of the, the dividend uh, metric. Um, growth stocks, I mean, I, I just find it interesting, this whole growth to value uh, transition that I firmly believe, you know, sustainably we'll see that transition over time as we continue to see cost of capital staying, staying elevated and uh, making it more and more difficult to justify growth as as a priority a priority for most investors, which has been in the last uh, ten to fifteen years, I think will shift towards profitability. So I, I'm very uh, uh, I'm very focused on that on that shift. And and what I'm working on is is uh, continuing to build a portfolio of buying exploration assets. I think that is one of the most interesting outside of the box really. Uh, uh, opportunities in the markets today. You know, you find companies that have been uh, exploring aggressively to search uh, uh, natural resources. You can buy companies with uh, incredible properties with a lot of high probability of, of finding uh, resources uh, that are not just being priced uh, accordingly in the markets. It's almost like the early '90s or so when you when you had all these uh, folks that couldn't really discern uh, the the, the um, you know, the good and bad investments in the technology spaces is how I feel about commodities today. It's a lack of understanding of the spaces is, is a real problem. And it speaks about as well to the, or reflects to the labor market issues that we have with uh, the lack of uh, geoscience, uh, um, you know, graduates and folks uh, that are interested in geoscience in general is creating a lot of inefficiencies. So to me, that's still the, the biggest uh, play and most exciting thing that uh, I wake up and and am always uh, seeking uh, a new uh, opportunity in that part. So, but thanks for having me. And I appreciate the invite and look forward to being here again. Thanks so much for coming, man. What a pleasure. Gordon, any last thoughts, anything you want to plug? Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, really appreciate the comments. I think the speakers are amazing and uh, I look forward to uh, tuning in uh, for further uh, events. Thank you. Thank you much. Last but certainly not least, Sam, any last thoughts? Anything you want to plug you got coming out? Yeah. Uh, so one last thought that we didn't talk about. I just want to be real quick with this. I know people got to get to the markets. Uh geopolitics these things cluster historically when you get populist populism when you get uh protectionism when you get monetary liquidity coming off the table you tend to get uh more competition globally and that drives geopolitical conflict we're seeing it and we have been seeing it for the next for the last four or five years and it's building do not whistle by the graveyard uh you know uh, i think they're the thing that people aren't and, and maybe the Fed's not even thinking about as much. Uh, we already saw Russia, you know, invading Ukraine. The China thing, I think people are really sleeping on. And the inflationary effects of that are 
massive. Um, and so, you know, it is, people are treating it as a black swan. I would say it's no longer a black swan. It's something you need to think about and be prepared for. That's, uh, that's, that's the one other inflationary point. And then lastly, uh, you know, wonderful panel, incredible conversation. If you guys ever want to uh, kind of, we're going to do it. actually our first Twitter spaces, ask me anything. We're going to occasionally do these. Uh, I know people have a lot of questions for, for how we think about the world. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, and lastly, I said this at the beginning, uh, we wrote this uh, quarterly newsletter that's exactly about the topic we've been talking about. Uh, inflation's about 22 pages, talks about our secular view. If people want to tune into it, uh, go to kaivolatility.com backslash news. Uh, and again, follow me on Twitter uh, at jam underscore croissant. Thank you guys for having me. Wonderful conversation. Thanks for having it. Thanks for bringing your your input here. It's it really developed a great conversation here. It made my my role here as the proctor very easy. <laughs> Everybody listening, of course, follow all the folks you saw here. If you don't, you're missing out on a lot of information. These folks are putting out pretty much for free. And subscribe to all of their Substacks, all of their podcasts, all of their Support everything these folks are doing because they're here helping all of us navigate things from a macro perspective. And I can't thank you guys enough for coming. For those of you that came in late or feel like you missed something, this recording will be available on the same link you click to join this space. And it will also be available by or before sometime tomorrow on the Unusual Whales YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Pod. So once again, everybody, stay safe out there. Market opens in just a few minutes. We'll be doing more of these in the future, hopefully with all of these wonderful folks once again to give us their input. Thanks again, guys, for coming. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Stay safe and stay happy, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye.